0: And welcome back to the Domestic Supply Chain Summit, our virtual summit here at FreightWaves. Hope you've enjoyed the content so far today. We have a very special guest with us right here. My name is Kevin Hill, here with FreightWaves and joined by Rosemary Coates, Executive Director and Chairman of the Board of the Reshoring Institute. Rosemary, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. So... um, the Reshoring Institute is a, n- a nonprofit. Do you mind giving us a little bit of background on that and, and kind of what your mission is?
1: Sure. So we started the organization going on ten years ago now, right after the uh, uh, 2012 elections, where Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were China bashing like crazy, and I had been doing lots of work in China. And um, because of that, that kind of conversation that was going on, a lot of executives I was working with asked me if there was a possibility that they could actually bring some manufacturing back. And so out of that grew a methodology for evaluating um how how to approach reshoring. Uh, and then out of that grew the reshoring institute. So we are, as you mentioned, a 501 C three nonprofit and nonpartisan organization. That's really important these days. Um, we don't take sides, we just try to report um, you know, what's going on and how we help companies bring manufacturing back. And then 50% of our mission is to help teach graduate student interns about manufacturing. So we take uh, paid interns from 14 universities across the nation uh, and we, we teach them about manufacturing. They do uh, case studies and some deep dive research for us um, and hopefully they get exposed to the manufacturing environment because they're going to be the manufacturing executives of the of the uh, next century, and the well, maybe not the next century, but soon, within the next ten or fifteen years. Uh, so they're going to be CEOs and managers, and um, it's important for them to understand what manufacturing is all about.
0: Certainly, in the next decade, the, the the next decade, they will be the the leaders of of manufacturing. Yes, <laughs> I would, you know. And it's been a popular topic, topic reshoring over the last decade, but I, I think the pandemic in the last two years, is it's been a game changer for uh, global supply chains, uh, you know, trade flow patterns, security, risk, uh, you know, capital. It's kind of thrown all those into a, a loop um uh, What are your thoughts on the pandemic and kind of attitudes to reshoring and moving manufacturing and and sourcing of goods around uh, because of all the bottlenecks and and challenges over the last couple of years?
1: So prior to the pandemic, most of the uh, projects that we worked on were very economically focused. So could we get the labor rates down enough or could we automate to extract labor? It was all about the dollars and cents and businesses are economic animals. They make their decision based on costs and benefits. Uh, but the pandemic introduced risk, and that's a new dimension um, for considering uh, where in the world to source and manufacture that wasn't heavily emphasized in the past. It wasn't that nobody considered it, it just wasn't really emphasized. These days, um, because of the pandemic and the 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 horrible things that companies underwent during the pandemic in terms of not being able to get parts and shortages and issues and logistics and on and on and on. Um, Now, companies are looking at that decision to reshore as not only an economic decision, but also one that includes minimizing um, the risk and exposure to those, those kind of issues in supply chain. So, yeah, I mean, Reshoring is going gangbusters these days. So A lot of activity, a lot of interest, um, all around bringing manufacturing back.
0: There, there are. Let's talk about. It. We we saw the risk over the last couple of years, and we were talking right before we hit record, um, on this session uh, about labor rates. And I was looking for some some current information on labor rates uh, last week, and and really couldn't find it. Um, everything seemed to be from, from a decade ago, kind of labor parody of different manufacturing hubs around the world. But you told me that you had new, fresh research on it. So let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about labor rates around the world.
1: Yeah, so we we started this research actually a couple of years ago and then put it aside for a while. But after the pandemic, it became very obvious that, that companies were looking for alternative places to manufacture so we did a deep dive uh, research project, looking at 12 countries where companies were either coming from or uh, there was a lot of activity, and where they were going to uh, manufacture. And we compared the labor rates in these 12 countries. Um, you know we could have taken, you know, 80 countries or whatever, but really we took the top countries where companies are moving to. Uh, and what we found was China is no longer in the low-cost category. China has moved kind of to the middle, um, and labor rates are continuing to go up. So and the, on the low end now are Mexico, Vietnam, and India. Uh, so they have low, the lowest-cost labor rates. Uh, that's important because if you have a product that has a lot of labor content, in other words, if you are – Um, a sewing company you sew apparel or um, uh, athletic shoe manufacturer where you glue on those little squares on the bottom of your shoes. These are high-touch labor content uh, manufacturing sites. Then you look for a low-cost labor country. But if you don't have that much labor, or you can extract labor by automating, then you have an opportunity to look at other countries where um, where overall the economics makes sense, including the U.S. So we're excited about that.
0: Yeah, and uh, that brings up you know Mexico being one of those, uh, and and people call that nearshoring, right? So you have reshoring, nearshoring. I guess foreshoring would be uh, would would be Asia and, and maybe crossing an ocean. Uh, what are some of the trends between nearshoring and reshoring, and and are they they kind of part in the, the same parcel or are they really differentiated?
1: Well, there, there's all kinds of strategies and models. I would say at this point in time, most companies are looking at, that have been sourcing in China are looking at a China plus one strategy. So that means manufacturing in China and maybe leaving some manufacturing there to serve the Asian market. Um, The Asian markets are growing uh, at uh, double digit growth of 12 to 14% year over year. And so it's really important that, um, that you have, you're able to address your customer base in Asia. And so that means a lot of companies will keep manufacturing either in China or in another country in Asia, plus one other country. And oftentimes that is, well, hopefully it's the U.S., but it could be, um, Mexico, perhaps. Uh, Vietnam is another good example. Um, used to, we used to say Poland, but now with the war in Ukraine, that's that's an unstable uh, region of the world, too. So it could be China plus one other country. It could be China plus two other countries. I've also seen a, a number of our clients who are choosing to keep some manufacturing in low-cost Asian countries, some in Mexico to address the North American market and take advantage of USMCA. And some in the uS um, to address uh, quick turnaround times uh, for delivery to customers in the uS. Um, you know, Amazon has taught us all to expect our stuff on our doorstep tomorrow, um, and that circles down to the industrial environment too. So now industrial buyers are expecting to see deliveries happen really fast, and that means for the producers. They have to have inventory available and be able to deliver really quickly, and a lot of times that means you've got a manufacturer in the U.S. To, to address the U.S. market.
0: Exactly right. You know, if if you want one day delivery, overnight delivery, uh, everything has to be pretty local to a specific geography. What are some of the the success stories? Uh, you know, American manufacturers uh, bringing uh, bringing manufacturing back, uh, reshoring that back in the United States. Do you have a, a couple? couple of good uh good case studies
1: on that yeah we have lots of case studies, so we publish all of this on our uh on our websites resharinginstitute.org. dot org um we have a a tab a research tab that shows the case studies but let me just draw on a couple of them um one of one of them is um big ass fans you may have heard of them i I hadn't heard of them I thought it was an odd name, but they're very famous. they make industrial fans for for manufacturing environments mostly and warehouses, um, they reshored one of their product lines because they had quality issues in China. And th- this happened a couple of years ago, so it's not it's not as recent. Um, another one is WaterLogic, uh, a really interesting company. They make the water filtration systems like you have in your break rooms where you fill up your water bottle. Um, and they make uh, that equipment. And they're a European com- company, uh, headquartered in the U.K., very popular throughout Europe. Um, they were manufacturing in a very modern, fantastic factory in China. Uh, and they their growth market was the U.S. So they were um, trying to figure out how to establish manufacturing in the U.S. through acquisition and through their own manufacturing plant. So we worked with them for a year and ended up selecting the Dallas-Fort Worth area near the airport because they had so many international travelers But uh, we put together uh, an approach where they could uh, import. We do a lot of the import export work as well. I happen to be a licensed customs broker, so I get, I get involved in a lot of the import stuff. Um, But we put together a way that they could import some, some foreign parts and do the final assembly in the U.S. with uh, one eye on redeveloping their supply base in the U.S. so they could completely manufacture uh, with parts from the U.S. in the U.S. So um, we worked with them for an over a year. That was quite a success story and such an interesting product. They um, they um filter uh, water at the point of dispensing, which is advanced technologies, and the water is much cleaner. Um, another one that comes to mind is GE. Um, during Jack Welsh's um, uh, time as a CEO, they pretty much shipped all of their manufacturing of appliances to Asia mostly in China. Um, And uh, when Jeff Immelt took over, he challenged the engineers to produce a product in the U.S. that could be sold in the U.S. So they chose water heaters and uh, developed a heat-on-demand water heater called the GeoSpring and started manufacturing that in the U.S. And Eventually, they reengineered all their systems, took uh, labor out wherever they could. They automated. They really did a, a wonderful job of producing this new product and reopened Appliance Park in Louisville. And, um, uh, put eventually they added some more product lines and put 4,000 people back to work in the Louisville area. I mean, just a tremendous success story. So those are just a few. There's lots of them. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, that's that is a tremendous success story. Uh when we think about technology and, and enabling, you know, new tech tech investments in or advancements in in the supply chain and having that ability to to, to bring back how's tech playing a role in, in reshoring here in America.
1: You know, technology plays a role in every single step in uh in manufacturing and distribution. There's no question and it's growing. So from uh, artificial intelligence that uh, hooks machines together through sensors. So, for example, on the shop floor in a manufacturing environment, you've got machines that go at different rates. So one machine might be stamping out something at a thousand per hour and the next machine bends that metal, but they're only capable of 200 an hour. So you've got an imbalance right off the bat. And that causes big lumps of inventory between machines and so forth. In using uh, uh, um, artificial intelligence and the use of sensors, you can uh, reorganize that so the machines are sequenced um, to move production or move inventory right along through the line. And that's, that's one use of technology and manufacturing that's relatively new over the past few years. Um, but, you know, there's certainly in, in logistics, um, uh, electric vehicles, you know, automatic, um, automatic driving, you know, all sorts of things that will improve productivity and safety, uh, warehousing, the use of robots to pick and to, uh, drones to count inventory. That's a new development where the drone will go up and down, uh, uh, shells and, uh, Count inventory. So, no, a person doesn't have to do that. I mean, this is really important for the movement towards better efficiency and lower costs.
0: So, uh, final question here. Um, but before we go, uh, over the next decade, what, what are your predictions with reshoring? It could be a percentage, it could be a growth number, it could be kind of what you kind of lead with, what your predictions are over the next, say, 10 years.
1: I, I would say I mean it's hard to predict in terms of numbers, but I can tell you the movement to think strategically about um, your manufacturing environment is very prominent these days. So in the past, as I as I mentioned, it used to be um that companies would think only about the economics. Where you know, where can I go where it's cheap? And I have lots of companies do that for 15 or 20 years, um, we looked at where was the cheapest manufacturing environment, and often the answer was China. Today's environment is very different, and I think the future in the next 10 years, we're going to continue on that pathway to think strategically about where in the world to manufacture, and that includes cost as well as all the other um, considerations, including um, automation, including the market, where's your market, including the geopolitical environment, which is likely to change significantly in the next 10 years. Uh, it's a little crazy right now, and I'm not sure it's going to get any better anytime soon. Um, and so all these things contribute to that strategic thinking. And, and ultimately, I think um, companies are going to choose to bring at least some of their manufacturing back to the U.S.,
0: yeah, you're exactly right. Though the world is changing, we we don't know exactly how, but it, it definitely is from geopolitical to economic to, to everything. Rosemary, thanks so much for for joining us here at the summit. And if you want to learn more about the Reshoring Institute, you can go to reshoringinstitute.org and find their their great research and also case studies. But that wraps it up for this fireside chat. You know, continue uh, watching here at FreightWaves.com for more exciting content coming up here on the Domestic Supply Chain Summit.